Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, I am so excited for this next we have been trying to schedule this for a while, and Amy Stanton, welcome to What's the Point. Amy and I met, I don't even know what month it was now, but a while, like a bit ago, and we immediately hit it off. I was telling her about our podcast, and like, it was just, it was like the universe had sent you to us, because <laughs> we talk so much about the things that you are so well-spoken in. Amy is a seasoned public relations and marketing expert. She's an author, co-author of The Feminine Revolution, which challenges this idea that femininity is weak and instead encourages women to redefine and embrace femininity as power. And she is the founder and CEO of her own firm, Stanton and & Company. And prior, she served as CMO for brands such as Martha Stewart Living Omni Media, which is wild. So cool. Talk about like a female powerhouse. Seriously. Um, we'll get into that. But yeah, Amy, your book is really, I remember we were talking, we were sitting at this breakfast club. Your book was kind of exactly what Annabelle and I talk a lot about is this fear of being all of yourself in the world and specifically at work, but definitely in the world because femininity and, you know, these archetypes of femininity, which you so eloquently cover in your book are typically looked down upon and frowned upon. So we'll get into all of this and welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Welcome Thank you for having me. So the first question that we always start off with is what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success and are they intertwined at all? I love that. And I wish it were a simple answer. But th when I think of fulfillment, I actually think of a state of being and state of feeling, which is a peacefulness. So there's no there there. I think if there's anything that I've learned 
throughout this journey so far, it's that, that there's not, it's important to set goals and to look at things that we aspire to do or be, but ultimately feeling fulfilled should be a part of the process and should be how we feel as we're on the journey. And that's really about calibration. And it's interesting. I mean, I work in the health and wellness space largely. And so I think a lot about health and wellness and these days, mental health is as much of a part of the conversation as anything and mental wellness. And so how do you find that sort of peaceful state, even when things are not peaceful, which is always, I mean, what day do we wake up and have a quote unquote peaceful day? I feel like even on vacation, that's rare. So it's all about how do we create our own peace? And and that to me, like I in general feel like I'm in a good place as a sort of high level concept when I generally feel more peaceful than not. And so when I think about fulfillment, whether that's fulfillment now or that's in the future, it's about feeling like that more of the time than not. Success, I'd say is a tricky one because it's so easy for success to be a comparative thing where we're looking at others and going, I am successful because I've accomplished this. And this thing, I mean, I guess some days I wake up feeling like I'm successful in that I'm running a company that is profitable, period, you know, successful in that way. Or I'm successful because I have really incredible friendships in my life, or I'm successful because I'm so close to my family and I feel like we're able to be there for each other in a meaningful way. Like all of those things are measures of success, but it's a tricky one because I've always been pretty hard on myself and I am a, I'm definitely what I would say a high achiever and mindset. And so when I think of success, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, Am I running a Fortune 100 company that I built from scratch? and Or am I going to sell a company for hundreds of millions of dollars in the next six months? Or am I doing all the different things that people might deem as successful? You know, no. But I, I feel like I've, you know, it's all a matter of comparison and that. And I think that's such a dangerous space to be in. So that's why it's always good. It's like my mom's really good about reminding me about one foot in front of the other. <laughs> and I think that's even good with goal setting. So having goals that we set for ourselves that are short-term, long-term, it's, you know, sometimes that's an overwhelming thought too. Like, I don't know if you set New Year's resolutions, but that's a, such a daunting thing sometimes where we feel like, oh, we have to like dig deep and go, what's important now, you know? But they can be micro things. Like I just bought some, I was on a call this week and someone was talking about that, the gratitude journal, the mm-hmm. gratitude journal, not just a gratitude yeah, yeah. journal. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, a specific format. Yeah. Journal, yeah. yeah. And so I immediately on that call, even though I was supposed to be paying attention, not on Amazon, but I ordered the book in that moment because I'm like, you know, this is an easy thing. Like, and I know it's going to make me feel better every day. Like, and so, or something good will come from it. Not And not because I am feeling bad, but because I think this is like a really important thing, how you start your day. And I am definitely one of those phone grabbers in the morning, you know, where like the first thing you do is like do that quick deep dive on the phone. It's helpful on some level, but I'm going to just start with the gratitude journal, you know, like this will help reframe things so that it's not always this like successes when I buy my next house and it's six times the size of my current house or, you know, whatever the things Mm -hmm. are. So I actually think it's about how do I feel successful today? And successful today is did I get through even a portion of my to-do list or at least the important stuff? 
And did I handle myself in a way that I'm proud of? Yeah. I love that. You mentioned goal setting and it's something that Jasmine and I have, have talked about a lot because for me, goal setting, like big goals and like tangible things to attain in the future, it brings out a lot of my masculine and it's almost like it puts this like pressure on me to perform and to achieve. And I'm already like in my masculine a lot with my business that it actually like accentuates that. So I've been finding that I'm making more goals around like feeling base, right? Like I want to feel a certain way. And I feel like that has been serving me more and allows me to stay in more in more of my feminine. But would love your thoughts on that and how you go about it. I mean, how cool is that that you're combining the masculine and the feminine by taking the goal setting and applying it to feeling? Yes, <laughs> right? exactly. No? That's awesome. I'm trying more to get I love into my it. feminine. No, I think so. that's a fun concept, actually. I think it's a great goal to feel a certain, I mean, kind of similar to what I was saying about feeling peaceful. Yeah. You know, like if that's my definition of fulfillment, like how do I get there more of the time than not? That is a goal, I suppose. But it's interesting because I think a lot about like the changing our state. That is a feeling based thing. So, and I think about it in the context of dating a lot because I'm killing it through the day. And it's so easy for me to feel like my head's in 45 different places. And Marianne Williamson, I think was the person that told probably not just me, but maybe it was the world that you should do this thing, like a ritual before going on a date where you take a bath or you listen to music or, but you really like change your state, your emotional yeah. state. And it's a cool thing to think about because it, you don't have to just do that before dating. Like that's a good thing to do even probably before a meeting or before a stressful conversation. But you have the ability to take some of these tools that get us into a, a different state of mind altogether, like walking in nature or I mean, for me, it's taking a bath. It's like always going to be at the top of the list. Like that, I will always feel better, like literally rinsing it all off at the end of the day or even the beginning of the day. But I think it's good to have those kinds of tools. I mean, just again, making it more practical because it's not just this woo-woo, like let's, I, I need like the forces to come in and change the state I'm in, you know? It's literally, <laughs> it's a practical matter, which is like, we are ultimately in charge of the state of mind we're in. If we're going to be, like we could choose to be in a frenetic state all day, or we could choose to be like one, someone that's very important in my life is my mother. And we're very, 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 very close. And she, I think she truly thrives on being super busy all the time. I mean, it's, I think it makes her feel good. It makes her feel relevant and purposeful and like she's, you know, still got a reason to be around and that she's doing things and she's always reinventing herself and it's super inspiring to me. And when she answers the phone and she's in a rush, which is often, I'm always like, like I, and I have to just be prepared for that, you know, but it's all, it's a function of like, this is the state she likes to be in. You know, so some of it's just an awareness thing, yeah. kind of being aware of the state that you're in, you know, and even just the fact that you're setting goals to be in a different state or like find those places that where you feel like you're in your feminine. That's it's it's an awareness challenge for you more than anything. hundred percent. You mentioned in the, in the book, in your book, uh, A Way to Get in Your Feminine is like singing and dancing. And I know that that's like a core part of what you've done too as well. And it's actually like dancing is something I've recently got into. And like, I don't actually like look in the mirror because I'm like, 
okay, I'm just going to like just move and like do this like Melissa Wood Health like dancing thing, (laughs) but like not look at myself because then like the judgment and it comes. But that is something that easily can shift your mood. Unbelievably. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. It really is transformative dance. And a lot of people have hangups and like nervousness around Mm -hmm. it because it feels vulnerable and people feel like they're not good at it or they feel like they're not good enough at it or who knows what the things are. Like people don't want to be seen in certain ways, but it's the same with the voice. I think actually it's like scary for people to sing in front of other people, but I, I love that you could do it privately too. (laughs) And I started taking recently, I took, I've taken singing lessons for several years now, just for me. And my teacher is a trained opera singer. So she's taught me a lot of opera in all different languages, which is crazy. I really, my only language that I'm truly proficient in is English. And yet I can sing these Italian arias. It's so cool. I don't know what they mean, but I, (laughs) but I realize like the feeling, the physical feeling of that is so powerful. I mean, it is, it's a great state changer. And I've recently started learning guitar, like four months ago, start taking guitar lessons and I get to just sing with my guitar, which is my singing is better than my guitar at this point for sure. But it feels amazing. So I'll just do it at the end of the day. Sometimes I'll like take a few minutes and be like, I'm just going to like work on this and then feel this. And I, it's so nice, even right before bed. Like I just feel so much better. It's like clears all of this out. So what was the shift in your life that pushed you to start experimenting with dance and song and guitar and all that? That's such a great question. I do really wonder what that was all about. I mean, each one of them had their own moment. Like I met Gita, the opera singer, and I knew she taught my friend lessons. And I'm like, I should take singing lessons. And I've, I'm sort of wired like that where I just think it's fun to try new stuff. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I, for a period of time, if you had asked me what I, in my dream, what I could like, if I could reinvent myself completely as a child to adult, what would be my dream is to be a rock star. So here I am now. I'm like, okay, is it too late? I'm going to be a singer songwriter with my guitar and my voice. It's never too late. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. But I, I think that some of this was just a creative outlet, actually. And I didn't realize the extent to which I need that. And I think kind of like what you're talking about, where you ha- you're in the left brain so much of the day and just I need a, something that complements all that and helps me express myself in other ways. And there's it's so cool that there are these really easy ways to do that. Do you do something every morning to get yourself into cacao? Okay. I do have cacao. So there's the most amazing cacao and I'll send you the link. Basically, I blend this cacao and I set an intention and it's transformative. It's the best way to start the day. And it's actually like fuels me too, physically. Really? But I... I mean, it is considered plant medicine, but it is really incredible. And it's, I love rituals in general, sort of like the way I take the bath at the end of the day. Like it's the same thing. If I have certain things, like I'm, I like spontaneity and to shake things up, but I'm also somewhat regimented in terms of my rituals because I feel like those things are so grounding and they also just make me feel like everything's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I'm a ritual-based person too, but sometimes I find that when I do them a lot, like for example, meditation, 
I used to put in my calendar every day at 4 p.m. to do meditate just like as a reminder. And then it got to the point where I was doing it from a place of like to-do list instead of from a place of like, this is something I enjoy and that grounds me. So I'm curious how you kind of like, if you sit and have your cacao and set an intention from a place of like, you have to set your mindset into that, like, I'm going to relax. I'm going to have a great day. If your mindset's not there and you're just doing the ritual because you're supposed to do the ritual every morning, then it's actually defeating the purpose, right? So how do you make sure though that you're you're not in your masculine while doing these more feminine things? (laughs) I love that. Well, first of all, taking all that out, like, are you looking forward to it? Because what you're describing with the meditation is when it starts to feel like a chore, Yes, you know, and that is a problem. I mean, I have plenty of things like that, but like dance, I will always look forward to it. I I know with certainty, I will always feel better afterwards. The cacao, are you kidding me? I look forward to it every morning. It doesn't, I, I don't have to spend a bunch of time with it. It's just a moment in time. I mean, and if I have time to go sit out on the porch with it and actually listen to the birds, I mean- that's such a bonus, but I'm not going to like kill myself over that. It'll be interesting to see how I do with this gratitude journal. Cause that's an example of something that's going to take probably fewer than five minutes. And yet I have to do it. You know, I have to like actually do it. Otherwise, if it starts to feel like a chore, I've got to, I got to cut it out. Yeah. I think it defeats the purpose. Yeah. It's hard to find the, that balance of like when it starts to defeat the purpose. I started to notice that when I had it in my calendar. So I removed it from my calendar mm-hmm. and now I'm just gravitating to it because I know it calms me down. Um, but I know like my type of personality living in New York, like being part of the hamster wheel, the go, 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 the work environment, like be tough, be, you know, always on, like all that kind of stuff you know, doesn't lend well to just following my pleasure of what I feel like uh-huh. doing today. Yeah. Um. So getting back into that and unlearning a lot of those, you know, habits that were ingrained in me is sometimes challenging. I fully get it. I lived in New York for 13 years and killed myself during that time and was loving every minute of it, honestly. So yeah, it's addictive too. Totally. So walk us through like how <laughs> you went from a corporate environment where they told you you're too sensitive, you're too this, to kind of being able to unlearn and unwind all of those things to write a book about femininity and actually put those practices into your own life. Well, they always say, me search is research, you know? So I think to answer the question as to how this ha- this book came about is crazy because I really never thought I was going to write a book. I had been around a lot of people. I've launched a bunch of books for people. So I maybe I had a lot of familiarity with the process, but certainly the themes around this had been on my mind for many years and probably long before even working, honestly. I mean, I was called sensitive by my mom from a young age and not in a positive way, you know, and, and I think I am really sensitive that's the bottom line. Now I can own that because I do see it through the lens of this is actually truly my superpower, but I understand the negative side of it too. And I understand the negative side even in me. It's just that I become less judgy about it because I have a better understanding of it. And I think some of it's just life experience and having enough perspectives on it to be able to see the powerful side. Whereas like in the, in a corporate, and it's interesting. I mean, corporate environments are so tough, period. 
they just are, you know, I mean, part of why I ended up starting my own business is because I like having authority over my destiny and I can set the tone of things and I can determine, I mean, I of course can say all of these feminine qualities are welcome at Stanton and company because I see the value in them, but it doesn't mean I want people running around taking everything personally all day. And I don't want people getting so emotional that it's negatively impacting the work. And I wouldn't welcome those negative parts either. So I think that the opportunity is for us to look at them within ourselves and understand where they're serving us and where they're not. And it doesn't mean rejecting the places where they're not, because that's the other piece of it. I just spent a lot of time beating myself up over it. Those people, you know, my bosses weren't necessarily wrong in in giving me a review that said, you're very sensitive. They were right. (laughs) It's just that maybe they didn't see the upside of that and they didn't foster that. And they didn't go, you know what, because you are so sensitive, you have much stronger intuition about the way clients are really responding to stuff. It's like the delivery of it made it seem like a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. And guess what? I bet their bosses felt it was a bad thing too. So some of it's conditioning and it's passed down through generations. And that's why culturally there wasn't an opening for all this. So, I mean, coming back to LA certainly had an impact on things because I think there's more space and a different way of thinking about things here. And then starting my own business really allowed me to ask the questions as I hired more and more employees, like, how do I want for people to feel in a work environment? I want them to show up as their full selves, not as a part of themselves. Again, it doesn't mean that flying off the handle is going to be productive at the office, you know, but if if someone is emotional or sensitive, like let's look at it through the lens of like, where's this coming from? How is this set of qualities of them serving them and us collectively and, and being able to be open to a, a sort of more nuanced conversation around it? And, you know, I mean, the crying is, I think, the easiest example because it's so so overt. Like there's no way the average person thinks that crying in the office could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly, I am by nature a crier. I mean, I really am in good times and bad. And I think a lot of times in work-related stuff, the tears would come from an angry place, like, or frustration, just like, I don't, like, like almost not knowing how else to process it, which by the way, is a whole other conversation around like, what if we could all learn to be better communicators and like be able to talk about the real stuff instead of feeling like we have to present a certain way, but that will save that. But the crying thing, like no one ever thought that that could possibly be a good thing, but I really look at the way it plays out even now. And the reality is like, if one of my employees has an emotional moment and I can see it coming typically, and I can create space for that. We really work through something. We become closer as a result. The person can actually, and I say like, what's really going on versus just being freaking out because of the tears, which many people had probably done. You know, then suddenly there's room for this whole other level of closeness and understanding on a human level, which then is great for everybody. And, you know, it's funny, like sometimes if you create the space for someone to cry, they don't. That's so funny. Yeah. Because it's like the dread of that. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, I think some of these things were just misunderstood collectively and that we have an opportunity to reframe them and bring them forward in a way that allows us to show up in a full and authentic way. And to me, that's the ultimate win. 
And I think for my own personal journey, it's really just like, I've had all these experiences and I run a company of mostly women and I see all these different dynamics and my own relationships and their relationships and the way that life is. And I, it got me to a place where one day I'm like, I'm going to write a book about femininity because nobody was talking about it. It was like all the other Fs, feminism and women's rights and all these other things. These were all like very front and center, but nobody was talking about femininity. So it felt like a real opportunity. I still think it is, honestly. The book is not new, but the conversation, it's still like, yeah. I, I watch the way people talk about femininity even now. And it's it, there's a, there are still a lot of women who struggle with the idea of it and feel like it's a negative, you know, and they have a hard time framing it in this powerful light. And I think I get excited about it still because we have these superpowers that we're just not using oh, properly. You repress them. Yeah. Completely. So it's interesting because I agree with you. I don't think enough people are talking about this. And my personal take on like fuck men culture is actually a very like masculine approach to, or it's, I would say a masculine reaction to women trying to get their rights and trying to be heard, which I completely understand. But so it's interesting. So reframing the conversation as like, actually, I don't need to compete. I just need to be able to be myself is I think what you're bringing to the table, which is amazing. And I really hope that we can all start to foster that side of us. But honestly, like, how do we like, you're a part of the conversation, right? You've wrote this book, but how do we like start really applying this far and wide? Because I feel like there's, like you said, it's like maybe the, the book isn't new, but like the conversation is still not that prevalent. And I don't know, I even for myself, like Amy has met my ex-boyfriend, who's now my boyfriend again. But something that we talk a lot about is him being in his masculine and me being in my feminine and how often we fall into roles that neither of us enjoy. Like often I am in my masculine and it forces him to be in his feminine and vice versa. And it's like such an interesting thing because it's not just at work, right? It's in our relationships. It's in our familial relationships. Like it's everywhere. So I guess I'm just like, what? how do we make the conversation more prevalent and have more people talking about this? And I also think people need to be honest with themselves about how they want to show up in the world because it's okay to be a woman who wants to be more in her masculine right? But I think a lot of us are just trained into that. Totally. Well, and it's one of the things we say loud and clear is that at the end of the day, we're all a balance of masculine and feminine. We toggle between those. Everyone's definition of femininity and masculinity would be different. Those are all good things. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things you pointed out is just what it feels like. Like it doesn't feel good when dot, 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 you know? So that's, I again, this awareness conversation. Like I think about me, like in certain relationships, romantic relationships, when I'm with a man who is more in their masculine, I feel instantly more in my feminine and much happier. A hundred percent. And does that make me this sort of traditional, like little house on the prairie, Amy? <laughs> no, I just know how good that feels. And I know how good it feels for them when I can really lean into my feminine. And suddenly I feel like sometimes almost a different person because guess what? I am a different person from the person that's sitting at my desk at the office on conference calls all day, you know? And it's a good thing to have that range, but 
it's particularly interesting in relationships. That was definitely one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I felt like is the reason that I have not met Prince Charming, and I say this all in the book and in life, because I have shut myself off in this way and I'm not allowing my feminine essence to come through. And guess what? I'm Because I am this really mushy, sensitive, crying human, like lots of people wouldn't believe that. I actually had a conversation recently where someone, I mean, she was an intuitive, so do I believe her? I don't know. But she was like, you're, you are still closed off. I'm like, Oh God, I am so much work. on this. (laughs) But that's a great reminder that we're always doing the work. And it's also a minute to minute thing where some moments were, are like, we're fully open and present and there for it. And other moments were not. And guess what? Some of the times we shut it off is because it's either a real mechanism to protect us because it's necessary, or we perceive that and we're going to inch forward depending on where it feels safe. Guess what? That's human. It's cool. But I I think the more we learn about that and we learn about how we feel in those different modes and have a little more authority over it yeah. versus it being a reactive thing. Like I'm going to go into my masculine because this guy's <laughs> being such a wuss. I have no choice. Or like at the end of the day, I'm not getting what I want. So I'm going to like bring that, bring it, you know, and that was us being pressured into those situations or that's how we felt, you know, and that doesn't feel good. I can speak for myself, but if we choose to be the planner and be the person taking charge, because that sounds fun, that's a totally different thing. It's so funny. I'm, I'm generally such a, like I identified as someone who plans, someone who like make social plans, someone who makes the reservation, like it's just always like the host, this, that. And now, you know, again, as you said, we're always doing the work. I thought it'd cool off a little in my thirties <laughs> and I'd be like way more in my power. And I'm sort of like, who am I? But I'm questioning everything. And I'm like, do I host and plan? I think I love hosting regardless, but do I do it? Because, you know, it's a fear response. No one else will do it. Like I'm picking up the slack or do I do it because I enjoy it? And, you know, maybe that's both, but I have had to kind of audit my life in some ways and be like, am I just taking the reins because no one else is? And same with my romantic relationship. Like, am I taking the lead because he isn't? Do I want someone who takes the lead? Like, it's such an interesting question. You mentioned that in, in your relationship about like, you know, doing the plans and all that. I know we had a conversation about this, Jasmine, and I actually find I was super like, I planned everything meticulously before Aaron. And now I don't at all. Like he kind of takes charge. And what I realized is that, because I used to say, I love planning. I love being, I actually don't. It's not (laughs) like, it's not core to me. It's not, it's something I did because I wanted to control. Like I wanted to like make sure that things were planned. We had the reservations and like our trip was going to go smoothly, but it's not something I truly enjoyed. And it wasn't until like my husband, Aaron, like just kind of stepped in and just did it that I was like, oh, it feels so good to just go along on a trip and not plan all of these things that I started to realize that it's actually not something I like. So sometimes I feel like you have to try it on and then take it off and then see how it feels to see if that's like something you actually like to do or you're doing it because it's what you know. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love that. I know because it's such a good point that you wouldn't know that you could feel better a different way until you've felt that way. Yeah. So by nature, I've been planning my whole life because sure, in the context of romantic relationships, if a guy is a real planner, that feels amazing to me. But otherwise, yeah, I'm doing it. And I think there's a balance, you know, like not everything is so black and white, but it's a cool thing. Like this is, I think the fun part is it just the exploration and seeing kind of as we pay closer attention to stuff and don't just take it for granted and assume that things have to be a certain way. And I like, I love that you're doing that questioning, Yeah, you know, and that it's not like we get to reinvent also, by the way. Yeah. And that is to me the most exciting thing. It's like everyone forgets we have this long life ahead and really there, no decision needs to be made. Like you could be a host for 10 years and then not a host for 10 years and then another host again yeah, in 10 years. That's you true know? too. And it's like part of it is changing locations, but how different my life was in New York versus here and what that brings out in me. And all those parts are still there, but we get to kind of dial them up or back depending on the circumstances. I just lost my 17 and a half year old pit mix, Bernard. And thank you. It's extremely devastating. He was one of the loves of my life for sure. And uh, this is going to be the second reference to an intuitive. So sorry, everyone. I'm a practical person. I'm I'm on the same. Thank you. Um, Animal communicator, this one. I spoke to Bernard right before he left and he said he had some advice for me, which was I needed to slow down. And that if I don't slow down, that I'm going to run myself ragged and get sick and that we have a lot of work to do, he and I, even after he had passed. So that's cool because he's still with me, thankfully, in that regard. But the slowing down thing was so interesting because I thought like, he's right, first of all. Only the person who's like my greatest witness that sits there and stares at me all day, every day could know the extent of how true that is. That if I, that I don't leave a lot of space for stuff. You know, like I definitely, I've always been like a charger, you know, and like, I'm a yes person. If someone says, do you want to do something? doesn't matter. More times than not, I'm going to say yes, assuming it sounds even remotely fun. And then I'm drained and exhausted, you know, and then I, how does that happen? It's pretty obvious. So I've been thinking about this, like in terms of life phases and like the post Bernard phase has been very different and it's only been a little over a month, but I have been slowing down. Yeah. And I think, and that this is truly feminine, the magic of surrender and like passivity. And that's so something that 
I actually don't know yet if that's my nature or if it's not. But I know that I struggle with it. Like I have a really hard time just like letting go of the wheel and being like, let life kind of come to you. I actually, I didn't get through the whole thing, but I started reading Getting to I Do isn't the best name. No, I know the book. You know the book though, right? (laughs) Of course. But of course, yeah. So it is, it's amazing. And it's so interesting because I remember that one of the chapters starts with like, you know, some women, and I actually think many women now, I can speak for at least a lot of my friends, there's this energy of like, if I don't go out and get the guy, like I need to like, even think about Bumble, right? Like sw- like you Trust swipe me, I first, think all the time. right? Yeah. There's this energy of like, which isn't negative. I'm not saying it's negative or positive, but there is this new energy where it's like we're empowering women by instead of being like, be swept off your feet, we're like, go and get him. And I'm not saying that that's a problem, but I've noticed for me personally, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be hunting. And I actually think the type of man I want to be with is ultimately a hunter. And I think it's really interesting because in that book, it mentions like a masculine woman is the type of woman who thinks she needs to do in order to be hunted or like she needs to do something. But I do think from, you know, I'm not single right now, but I've gone in and out of being single many a time in the last five years. And I think it's really difficult to be dating in this time where there's like a paradox of choice There's a laziness, I think, on both ends. Like millennials, I think, are having less sex than any other generation. Like there's just so many things that are kind of against us. And I think these dating apps were meant to help empower us as both men and women. And instead, it's kind of just made – I have friends who their take on it is like it's made men lazy and in their feminine. And I see that. Like there is a little bit of like, well, I don't need to gather the courage to go up to a woman. I can just be on my couch and swipe right. So I think there's just this level of – I don't know. Like I, it's a really fascinating topic to me because I'm like not exactly, cause I'm all on board with like, if you want to be more feminine, lean into your feminine, if that's what feels right for you and let life come to you, like let life unfold and the magic of that surrender, that passivity. But then there's the flip side where I'm like, you're kind of being fed messages, like go for it, right? Like just do it, go for it. Like that's like, you have power. I think there is strength in I don't need to pursue. A hundred percent. I I think about that all the time. And I interviewed Pat Allen for my book, which was so so fun. So cool. Like I yeah, I she's such she really is a legend. So she is. And I thought I didn't connect you know, that dots. book is extremely polarizing for people because some people think that's like the most antiquated way of thinking. And in some respects, you can't believe like, like who knows if that piece of literature would fly today because there's an aspect of it that's really based on sort of an old school way of thinking. And I am a little bit of a traditionalist. So I think in some ways I respond well to that, but I think about this all the time. I mean, even up to that Bumble issue, which is like, I don't want to be the person initiating. I want to be pursued. I'm super clear on that. And I I say literally, it's like, it's like you took the words out of my mouth around like the guy I want to be with is going to have the balls to be able to like go for it. And mm-hmm. I don't need, I would not need to do anything, you know? And, and I've had that experience enough times where I know it's true and I know what that feels like. And I know- I couldn't have created those situations. Like I had to be just present and open to them, the best situations. So 
And I also respect that some women are not wired like that, by the way, and that they are the ones that want to take the initiative and take the lead and that they, and they may attract a different kind of guy and that's cool. And there'll be fewer of those guys out on the market. Which is good. Messing with me. <laughs> Do you want to share any yeah. of those stories? <laughs> no, it's, it's more a matter of, and I agree with you. I don't know whether it's laziness or what, but it's just a complacency among yeah. men and too many options and too much accessibility and availability, not enough men here. Maybe, I don't know. I don't like making excuses about stuff. Yeah. So, and I, who knows what the answer is. It's like really just about finding the right person at the right moment and letting the magic happen. And, you know, it's something to look forward to. Definitely. Well, I think this idea of like oscillating between roles yeah. is really cool because maybe there's a season where you're like, I need to build my business and you want to lean more into your masculine and like channel some of that. And then maybe there's, you know, a season where you're like, I actually really want to lay back. Like I'm now, you know, I'm true for animal. Like I'm a mother now. I want to do that, you know, where you can kind of dip into both. But I do really love and respect and appreciate this idea of, because I've just been having this total renaissance on my life, like auditing everything. But this idea of, I actually think I can use my personal feminine powers as a strength, especially in the workplace, because I actually feel like I've been so in my masculine with work and it doesn't work. Like I don't ever end up getting what I want really. Like I've, you know, I've been lucky in my career, but I don't, I, if I come in to like negotiate or to pitch an idea and I come in with that masculine energy, especially if you're pitching to a very like machismo man, chances are they're like, no, I don't want to deal with this. But if you like gas them up and you you like move into your feminine, they're like, okay, make it feel like it's their idea too. It's like almost strategy to play the system, totally. whether you, you know, and using yeah. your senses, you know, 100%. like observing and like yeah. and finding the way in and not like it's our ability to outfeel them in yeah. a way. You know? We're very good. I find, at least for me, like at like reading a room and like molding our story to cater to like the type of people that is in the room. Right. When you're like with a big like macho man, if you're going to be very masculine, probably won't work but if you're able to like understand like what a win would look like for him like what kind of makes him happy like what yeah. like you know and then like mold it all in and like make him seem like it was like his idea and like you know like we're very good at that and I think that's another thing that's part of our femininity but I also want to bring it back to like this whole notion of like being versus doing because I think it's so ingrained in us for, in society like to do right? You, you always have to be doing, I've had a really hard time even now, like taking a step back to like rest more, like, you know, being due in like two weeks. I, it's very hard for me. I, it's very hard for me to slow down and, and not do and to sit and relax and, and do all those things. And I guess like be like, is that in your feminine doing just like, or no being, sorry, is that like being in your feminine? Some would say that. Yeah, I've definitely heard people talk about it in that context. But I mean, you can be being in your masculine or being in your feminine or doing in your masculine or doing in your feminine. I think it's, it all goes, I mean, to me, as I'm listening to, I'm thinking like, how do we in the moments when we're feeling compelled to do, ask ourselves the question, why? Yeah. So like, are you, and this is 
may not at all be accurate, but is there could be a scenario where you're doing extra because there's an unconscious part of you that's like nervous and this will help you not have to think about it or maybe it's a conscious part of you, but like you will not have to worry as much because you're just doing it. Everything's totally normal. And, and then when it happens, it happens. But right now I'm just doing my thing, you know, is there a way that it's more about, it's like preventing something else from coming in, you know, and this goes back to, I think the opportunity is for us to allow the feelings to come in and the, to experience them fully versus doing to cover. That's the male part. That's the masculine part is like the doing at all costs, <laughs> you know? So I don't think there's any wrong or right. I mean, some of it's just also how, as you said, we're wired because after my New York years, I am a doer. There is no doubt about it. And I pride myself on that, you know, but I, I recognize the power of these quiet moments and and allowing like the emotions good or bad to come forward and the the overthinking like to a point, you know, but like it's necessary. Like the thoughts must come through. We must deal with them. They must be processed. They cannot be avoided, you know? So if sometimes, and I'm an ultra planner, like not just in that I organize everything, which yes, but also like I fill my schedule sometimes to a point of exhaustion. Again, Bernard knew. Um, And maybe distraction. Exactly. So sometimes I have to ask myself, like, is the reason that I'm going to go do this tonight because I just don't want to be home alone so I don't feel lonely? Or is it because I don't want to worry about the work stuff? Or what are the reasons, you know? And like the more I spend time alone, the happier I am, honestly, in some respects. So it's good. It gives you like a lot of perspective around. And sometimes if I'm home and I'm in a peaceful state, I'm like, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the conversation. This, I must be doing well, (laughs) you know, like I'm in a good space because I can just sit at home tonight and decompress and feel great about it, you know, and like wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. And like, this was, there's nothing like throwing me off my center. So there's no, again, there's no there there, but I think it's like all, it's just practicing these good habits and the things that are making us feel good and being aware of them, you know, paying attention. When was the turning point for you where you were like, okay, I actually really need to make a change in my life or like learn to embrace these things. Like, obviously you said it was building over time, but, and it maybe stemmed from way before working, but like, cause as a sensitive person, but like, that in and of itself is a strength, right? To be able to be like, whoa, I'm like not being true to myself by rejecting the fact that I'm sensitive and a crier and maybe being made to feel bad about it. Like when did you have that turning point? It may have been exacerbated by just seeing some of this in other people, Mm. you know, and realizing like that I was not alone and that a lot of people were going through similar experiences in different ways. And I just found it very intriguing because I I could have compassion for the other people more easily than I could have compassion for myself. And I mean, certainly there was a big breakup that was devastating, but it was a real turning point in general is when I started my company and everything. And then I soon moved back to Los Angeles. And I think there were just a lot of these big sort of life changes that happened at the same time. Like this guy I thought I was going to marry I wasn't. And then I got Bernard and then I started the business and then all this happened. And it just, I think the bigger life changes that are happening, the more you have an opportunity in those moments to make big changes and and really evaluate stuff like now. 
for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the things that you said mm-hmm. on on a podcast, Almost 30 podcast, that really resonated with me, you were like, if someone tells your daughter you're being too sensitive, she says, thank you. And I think like, it's such a, like, it really like hit home for me because you know, I was raised in a don't cry, don't be too sensitive, like dress the part, like be prim and proper, like do well at school, like all the things like that. And that's something that I really don't want to inflict in my daughter. So while I'll work hard personally and with my husband to, you know, create the space where we're not doing that, I think it's something much larger. It's like as a collective, we need to be working on because if my daughter is okay with crying, that's totally fine and great. But then, you know, she goes to school and they're telling her, don't cry. Then it's like getting mixed messages, right? It's environment versus the home. So like to, to Jasmine's point, when she was saying earlier, like we're still at the very beginning of this conversation. How do we as a collective, like work on this together? I love that. I mean, yes, this is why it's a revolution. <laughs> I matched the book today. You do. Um, That's cool. I think it has to start with us as individuals because that's the only option. I get excited about systemic change. So looking at like whether it's school systems or whether it's corporate life, because those are the places like I, when I launched the book, I did a lot of workshops at big companies like various kinds of all sizes, but really like in the, the weeds through the HR departments and fortune 500 companies, like companies that you would never imagine would be fostering this kind of conversation. And it got me so excited because I thought like these are environments that are exactly what I struggled with, you know, exactly the moments where I was like, oh my God, there's no way I can fit in here. You know, there's no way I will ever fully be accepted. But so I think each of us going and making changes in our respective lives with our respective teams and creating space for the people in our lives to be the way they are and, and like initiating the conversation is a start. I also think if your daughter goes to school and she thinks it's okay to cry and the school says it's not okay to cry, what if she can explain why it is okay to cry? What if she can talk to her friends about why it's okay to cry? Like, I think it has to, it's a, it's contagious, you know? in a good way. I think it has to be like, there's not going to be a day where all of a sudden everything shifts, but then if there are role models that bring a more feminine approach to leadership in a really public way or handle situations that could have been handled in a combative way with grace, you know, those are things that do show us a new way. So also part of it's bringing attention to those things. It's one of the reasons I was really excited a big part of our business is working with female founded companies and female entrepreneurs. And I love being able to showcase them. And, and, and again, in a very human way, because we need to see other examples. Literally when I started my company was focused on building more positive female role models. And I started with women's sports and female athletes because nobody was focused on that. People couldn't even name three female athletes at that time. That was 17 years ago. It was frightening, but a lot has changed and a lot hasn't changed. But being able to bring women forward that are showing new ways of doing things and and bringing these sort of like more authentic versions of themselves to the forefront, that's how we learn. That's how we see options and other ways of moving forward. And it's exciting. So we all have to do our part. I guess that's the long-winded answer. Seems like it's going to take a little bit. 
okay. time, but I'll start with my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was also Excellent. going to say, I think it's amazing that you're doing this like at these companies, et cetera, but it also does start at home. Like, as you said, your mom would call you sensitive in the way that you're like, my mom is super tough. You know, she's just like a tough woman, but like we all have had to grow that skin because we're in a patriarchy. Like at the end of the day, it is survival, you know, like, and it's so interesting because I actually, I call it toxic femininity, but I, that might be really like, I don't know if that's appropriate, but you know, sometimes there is this level of like, there's standing up for yourself, but then there's also creating more animosity between these like masculine feminine sides, which I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I don't think that's the answer. Right. So I think it's a really interesting because we have to foster both in men too. Totally. I think that's the other part of this, 100%. right? Is like men are not off the hook. Like they have to be okay with femininity around them. They have to be comfortable stepping into healthy masculinity and they have to be okay with their femininity. I think a part of the, oh my God, why are you crying or you're so emotional at work comes from their own repression. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges for men mm-hmm. right now because they're encouraged in a public way to be more sensitive and show their vulnerability and all these things. And then women like us are like, man up, yeah. you know? So what does it all mean? <laughs> it you know? is tough because like, yeah, I mean, I just, I was just talking about this with a friend of mine who was going on a date and she was like, this man has just been so spotty with texting, has not been like, to- not told me, you know, four hours before the date, where we're meeting, what time, like just in these small ways, it's like, what is going on? And that's not, foreign, you know, like I've definitely, I've definitely, like my other friend keeps joking. She's like, everyone just thinks they're Drake now. Like, it's like, there's (laughs) this like delusion. I don't know, but it is a really real thing. And it's like worse at work because it's such a heavy topic because it's so deep. Like it starts at home. It's how your parents are. It's your role models. Like we've glorified being busy, taking the lead, being, you know, productive. yeah, Yeah. And I even think a lot of like discussion and discourse around female entrepreneurs and being this like badass woman, like what does that mean? Right. But I think, you know, being soft and all of those things can be a part, like your living proof can be a part of being a badass woman at work. Totally. And it's such a, we have to completely reframe our- I couldn't agree more. It's really interesting. I mean, again, we all have these different parts of ourselves and I think you have to be somewhat hardcore to start a business or run a business, but that doesn't mean you need to be hardcore in all respects or a tough person in all respects. I mean, we, and we have that, we figure it out. We don't have to decide we are a certain way. I was sitting at dinner last night next to this woman And I just, it's interesting because we're in similar industries and we were doing this exercise around the table around like each person was supposed to ask a question that we were iterating and she just had so much to say and she had so much to offer. And she was very bullish about a lot of things. And I, I felt she was impressive actually. And then I was also simultaneously turned off and it was really interesting because I was like, she, then I think it was at a point when she mentioned the person she just hired that had 15 years of experience as if that was an old person. And I was like, whoa, you know, like this, and she, and I realized she's young. Awesome. Great. And, but I was like, she is really confident and she's really like, again, very bullish on her ideas, 
And I, I think that's great for her. Why am I having this negative reaction? You know? And I real I know why. I mean, there were a couple things. I felt like maybe it was not totally substantiated or like maybe she wasn't taking the space to like observe and take in the other stuff at the table and, you know, but I think she was, she was very in her masculine, you know? And, yeah. she, and I think she, I could tell the way she runs her company that she is, you know, but she's also really good at what she does. Yeah. So I respect it. You know, one of the things I love that Pat Allen says is that men want to be respected and women want to be cherished. Mm-hmm. And when I, he, when I read those words, I felt it, you know, I do I want to be cherished. It's so true. I feel like I have more than enough respect. I'm good. So what do you actively daily today do to cultivate femininity within yourself at work in dating? And like, obviously there are all these archetypes, but like, is there something that you're doing every single day? Like, I think it's, I can imagine being from corporate culture and living in New York and all this stuff. Like, do you catch yourself being more in your masculine and then being like, wait, I actually want to approach this differently. Like, I really do. I'm sure it's- I I, really do. Or have a moment in a meeting or the way I respond to something where I can feel it. Like, and then I go, okay, what's another way? You know, there are ways even in the moment to make adjustments. Is there a specific question you might ask yourself or something you can like actively do? I'm asking because I actually want to know for myself. (laughs) Well, I mean, first of all, there's, I'm sure there are plenty of techniques. Like I remember long, long ago, my friend Lynn told me about this thing called pattern interrupt. Do you know about that? Okay. Yeah. So you basically, it's a simple technique. It's literally like if your brain's going wild or something's happening that you feel like you're losing control in some capacity, not in a good way, you literally just say to yourself pattern interrupt and it gives you a moment basically. So you can then literally interrupt that pattern, but then you can, it's the equivalent of a breath, you know, we could breathe instead, but it's something that for some people is useful. And I still sometimes can do that, but I think it's like, what's your version of that? You know, like I sometimes in a moment, I feel like I have like a separate, I've always felt like this. And someday I'm going to write a television show about this character, which is me but I have like a different version of me that's observing all the time. And then there's the me that's in the mix, you know? So sometimes in a tough conversation, I'm both having the conversation and observing the conversation where I'm like, huh, how's this going? You know, like what's going on here? Your neck is getting red. You know what I mean? Like you're getting all worked up. Like you can feel, and I know I am, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, it's like, I have a voice here that's giving me clear, commentary sometimes. And it's good because in a way, like I'm that person too, you know? So sometimes I will lean into that and be like, where are we? You know, it doesn't prevent me. Like I overreact to things sometimes, Yeah, but then uh, there's a whole chapter about apologizing. Like there's, you know, that whole thing around like, don't apologize. I hate that honestly, because apologies are incredibly powerful and it's really about taking responsibility. And I try to like the younger members of my team really struggle with this or certain members, not only the younger ones, but they don't understand the power of like owning it. And that suddenly the minute you've owned something, it meant you were actually in charge of it and that you had some authority of how it went one way or the other, which makes you a capable person to impact something like that's awesome. You know, 
And if you can just say like, I'm really sorry, or I'm sorry I made you feel like that. It doesn't even have to be, I mean, it has to be sincere, but like that drives me crazy. Yeah. I think it's the empty apologizing that becomes for both men and women that becomes sort of like, do you don't, do you even know what you're saying? Totally. Versus like you owning feel the sexy. difference. Yeah. You can definitely yeah. feel the difference. For sure. But I mean, I think in general, it's about like throughout the day, practicing it, mm-hmm. observing where it's going well, observing where it's not making adjustments. Like I have like the rituals I think are a great, like way to feel different Yeah, in the moment dark chocolate is definitely important. Yeah. It's not specific to femininity, but it's important to sanity. So I think, but like things that add a little sweetness to life, like literally and figuratively. Yeah, definitely yeah, like the important. baths and all that. Well, it's like connecting with your soul too. Yeah. Doing what feels good instead of what's right. Totally. So the question we ask at the end of every podcast is, what's the point? I fully understand why you're asking that question. And I love that that's the name of the podcast. I think we are all part of a human experiment and in the grand scheme of things, just here for a little blip, such a short period of time. And we get to choose how we spend that time and whether we wreak havoc on the the world and those around us or whether we maybe make it a little bit better and I certainly hope in my case that the point is that I am going to leave the earth and the humans around me in a better state than they were without me so yeah thank you so much that was amazing thank Thank you thank you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.